Hey there, friends. Pastor Paul Carter here from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Aurelia and uh, part of the TGC Canada Network as well, joined by uh, several of my good friends here for another episode of Pastoring in a Pandemic. Uh, joining me today, I have uh, Pastor Clint Humphrey from Calgary, Alberta, Pastor Rick Baker from Oshawa, Ontario, Pastor Mark Bertrand from Southwestern Ontario, and Pastor Stephen Bray from St. John's, Newfoundland. Gentlemen, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us again. It's always Thank a pleasure. Well, uh, as I mentioned, this is our second installment of Pastoring in a Pandemic. Uh, hopefully our last. Um, hopefully this pandemic will eventually come to an end. Uh, we did our first one back in June, and uh, that was a very interesting conversation. We were dealing with different things. There, uh, we were trying to sort through reopening plans and, and what was it going to look like for us to, to turn things back on. And uh, that was so long ago. Stephen, as I recall, you, you had not even received clearance to open in any sense back in June. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we've only had two weeks. The last two Sundays, we've had actual in-person services. Yeah. Amazing. And, and I, I don't think any of us anticipated when we did that conversation in June uh, <laughs> that, that this would still be going on and that we'd be having this conversation here late in September, uh, almost into October with no real end in sight at this point. Uh, it's, and, and that has shifted the conversation. It's now less about, you know, how do you get people safely into the building? Now the conversation has shifted. It's about pastoral burnout. It's, it's about mental and spiritual health. Uh, and and the conversation is starting to turn towards the issue of church and state. Um, at 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 what point do we push back? Um, and if if we do, why would we? If we do, how would we? Uh, that's part of the conversation, as well. We want to get to all of that, uh, but I thought we would we would begin on the mental health side, on the spiritual health side. I I know that uh, I've been hearing. Stetzer has, has talked about this. Tom Rayner has talked about this. Uh, we're seeing pastors take early retirement. We're seeing uh, a very high rate of burnout, a very high rate of, of transition, guys leaving the ministry. And uh, I know, Mark, you were a part uh, of, a, of a retreat recently that was held in, uh, in this region, dedicated to spiritual disciplines, renewing those disciplines, caring for uh, physical, mental, mental, spiritual health. And uh, I'd be curious to hear your, your report on that weekend and any observations you might have as to why this pandemic has been particularly difficult for pastors. Yeah, yeah thanks, Paul. Yeah, so I was at uh, Muskoka Bible Conference, which is just in your neck of the woods, just outside of Huntsville. And that was the first of three. They're planning another one in October and another in November, trying to keep the cohort of pastors kind of small it was really good. Uh, it was just uh, uh, two days, two nights. Uh, they tried to keep the costs low and affordable for us and brought us together. Not an awful lot of um, programming. Um, opportunity for pastors to talk with one another, to just sort of share their burdens together. Uh, opportunity to have meals together, to um, take a canoe out. I don't know if you'd want to do that in November, but in September it was quite nice. Mm -hmm. um, we, uh, we, we threw some tomahawks and I was there with uh, seven Toronto pastors. Nothing heals pastoral burnout like a good <laughs> tomahawk chop. Well, I'm just glad to say as the rural pastor in the bunch, I sunk both of my first tomahawks and left the Toronto guys to figure it out after <laughs> nice. that. So, well done. Um, but you know, when it, 
you know, all of our conversations too were, were, were confidential, uh, which I think was important that we'd be able to share it. But just generally, as I think about, you know, what, what I've been going through and what I think we're all going through, um, I mean, we, we are in the midst of, you, you've said it, Paul, and I don't think it's original with you. I think you said, you know, war draws people together and plague yeah. drives people apart because the yeah. enemy is sitting in the next pew over the person that is potentially not willing to wear their mask. And so in a rural setting, and we're all across Canada, so our experiences I think are different depending where you are. Uh, every week I have to have somebody else come up to me with some conspiracy theory for yeah. why COVID isn't real. And I, I have to say, that's not my concern. Yeah. Um, or um, why do we have to wear these masks? Or, um, you know, preaching to a camera for the time that that lasted, that was a, a, a tiresome thing. We, we don't have a, a, a live feed, so I had to preach on Saturday nights so I could upload for Sunday mornings. All those sorts of things are, are working on us. Differing opinions in the congregation. Yeah. Um, and then differing opinions amongst pastors. You know, we've got mm -hmm. on one side of us people who are saying, if, if you were truly loving, you wouldn't have opened your church right now because you could potentially infect somebody. And then we've got somebody else saying, you know, the spirit of Antichrist is upon you because your doors are still closed. And, yeah. and all of us are having to wrestle through that. And I think finally, um, for myself at least, having to wrestle with my own conscience because all these different voices, all these different thoughts, my own personal opinions, my understanding of the scriptures, my desire to be faithful, um, and also my desire to, to, to walk in harmony with my leadership, uh, those things add so many different elements to this work. Thanks, Mark. I, I'm going to throw it to Rick. Your audio was cutting in a little bit there. Uh, Rick... I know that uh, things are a little bit different in Durham County, but I I'm just curious to hear from each of the guys in terms of whether they've been in having people leave, uh, whether they've been experiencing pastoral conflict uh, over the masks, over, you know, just even the, the stance of your church on the government protocols, uh, because I do, like Mark said, I think that is part of the pastoral stress experience in this pandemic. Yeah, so I, I we are, we, we are, although we don't, really know who we're losing and who we're not losing because not of back. So it's hard to tell exactly what's going on, but some people have indicated uh, that they're either not coming back or they're not coming back for a while. And uh, I think, I think masks, we've, we've discovered that masks are the big lightning rod. Um, but in Durham region, we have a different, we're different than other regions. We're, we're required to wear masks uh, if we can't distance, but once we sit down in the church, we're permitted not to have masks on. So for some people that's uh, too reckless, uh, but that's, that's a Durham Health uh, uh, guideline and we're abiding by it. And uh, so um, that's been our experience. So yes, yes, I think we're all facing the challenge of that. Um, you know, the advice I would be giving and, and, and have been practicing my, myself is, is that we need to, to lead the same way we've always led regardless of what's going on. And I think it's lead from biblical convictions and not from consensus. So that's not our role. We've not been called to be a, a sheep leading sheep, but rather shepherd leading sheep. And I think it's critical that, that during this time, we not waver from the, the role and the responsibilities that God has given to us to be spiritual health care givers mm -hmm. and, um, and to, to uh, 
be careful about the physical health care issues, but, but from our perspective, so that we maintain our own spiritual strength and continuity, is to, to stick with our biblical convictions and lead from them. Yeah, that's good. Clint, out, out west, uh, is that a common experience for pastors, that they're feeling it at both ends? I, I know here we've, we, we've had people leave on both sides, uh, people who were angry at us for opening up because they, they felt like that wasn't loving, um, and then uh, people who are angry at us for abiding by the health protocols because, you know, they think we're, we're gullible, we're, yeah, you know, we're, we're not uh, convictional enough. Uh, and so we've been getting it from both ends. I'm curious if, uh, if you've been having that experience as well. Yeah, Paul, we've, we've had the same thing. Um, if, if people aren't leaving, they're at, least, they're at least hesitant about coming back, but it's on both sides of the issues. Um, whether there's not enough protocols uh, or even further, uh, further implementation that could happen or that simply that we're, we're abiding by the government's uh, guidelines. So the result is then I've, I've been a little bit surprised that um, I, I thought maybe that our sense of membership in our church, and I know in other pastors, their churches, we thought that we, have, we had taught everybody about what it meant to be a church member and kind of committing to the church through thick and thin. And I've been surprised at how mercenary people are. Mm. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of, I, I think that's what's been exposed so that people can be quite mercenary in their preferences. And maybe I, I think for myself, I was just, I was struck by, I, I thought we did a good job of, of teaching our people what it means to be committed to each other and even overlooking when things aren't to your preferences and still, you know, sticking with the church. And yet, you know, as Rick said, the masks have been the lightning rod. Very, very surprising. And um, I mean, we're, we're going slightly beyond what Alberta government uh, required us of. Uh, namely, we had masks while we're singing, even though we were permitted to sing without them. Um, and, and now the city of Calgary has actually enforced a mask bylaw, so we have to anyways. But um, those have been certainly been the flashpoint. I don't know for other pastors out here, uh, that has been uh, the dividing thing. And so we're rapidly calling each other. All the pastors are calling each other because we've got people, sheep circulating now over these yeah. issues. And, and at least we have these pastoral relationships. And uh, sometimes people are, they're simply moving to a different church based on how it fits their preferences on their interpretation of the pandemic mass and regulations. Yeah, and I, I think that is part of the depression. If, you know, I'm not using that word in a clinical sense, but it's, it's part of what presses down on our spirits as pastors. I know, uh, like, a, like as a parent, you feel it in your own soul when, when one of your kids is struggling spiritually. I, I have actually found Facebook to be depressing right now because you go on there and you see, I've got people acting foolishly and immature on both, both sides of this issue. You know, I, I just said yesterday, I would stick a piece of celery up my nose if, if that's what the government required of me is if for, you know, preaching about Jesus. Like for me, I'm not going to rupture fellowship with my church over a, a six by four piece of cloth. Like it's six inches by four inches and you can breathe through it. It's, it's not a, you know, a cement helmet for crying out loud. And, and so either way, whether they forbid me to wear it or force me to wear it, I don't care. Like, I'm certainly not going to, you know, sever fellowship with my church. And to see people walking away from the people who've invested in them spiritually over this four by six piece of cloth, I'll be honest, it's, it, it has been a little heartbreaking to see that. 
Yeah. Now, are you dealing with that in the East Coast as well, Steve? Well, I think a couple of things, I think culturally uh, and as well, the fact where I'm at is there's not a lot of evangelicalism. Yeah. So, uh, and our, our government's approach has been, you know, 24 weeks, I looked at a camera. Um, they finally lifted restrictions a little bit. And we actually did watch parties at the church. So people could go, we could have 50 people and they'd go and they'd watch us as we were live streamed. Only the last two weeks have we had it. And it's been euphoria. We have yeah. been able to practically max out our group. No, we have not had issues about masks. People have been very, very gracious. Um, there's just been an absolute joy to be together. Uh, now we, we live stream simultaneously. So we still have, you know, some older folks. Uh, we, we definitely have one other family that are quite cautious, but they are fully engaged online. They say hello, tell everybody they love them and they miss them. Our biggest thing is because some mainline denominations have taken very stringent uh, approaches. So we've had actually people, well, every week our doors have been open. We've had first time visitors yeah. at our church. And it's because they're just looking for some sort of gathering. So we've actually yep. been very proactive to say, yep. hey, it's great to have you, but let's make sure you understand where you're coming from. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't say they're looking at us because now all of a sudden they, they want to make a statement to say, well, we're coming to your church because you're more committed. They're just eager. And, I, and some of that is cultural. Um, our folks love to be together. If anything, I'm walking around gently policing it in a, a, a weird sense of irony. I'm, I'm almost upholding the government bylaws more stringently on behalf of my government. But my people have taken it very, very well, well-meaning. No one has yelled at me. I've, my biggest thing is just navigating all of the fact that everything that's going on, if John MacArthur talks, it's in my, in my inbox within seconds. Yeah, and then that's the next part of the fun talks, too, hearing yeah. about what, what all the better pastors are doing. Right, uh, and, and so <laughs> on both it's, sides and it's not that... It's not that my people are saying, do this. It's like, what yeah. do you think of this? And what does this mean? Um, so I've been blessed by that. I mean, I'm, I'm tired like everything else, but I, I'm, you're getting me at a good time. I've had two weeks of in-person services, singing with a group, not having earplugs in, looking at human beings. We've had a business meeting last night, which was our first in-person business meeting in a year. And it was euphoric. We brought new people into membership, all these types of things. So you're getting me at a good time. I might not be the best guy for a panelist right now. I feel like the burden has been lifted a little bit. Uh, no, that's, that's good. You know, yeah. I, I don't think the goal is to encourage discouragement. I think it's to yeah. recognize. I mean, what we're hearing is that, uh, you know, pastors are running on, on fumes or on empty. Yeah. And uh, we want to give some, some thought as to how they can uh, access some, some grace, some means of grace to continue the journey. Mark, Let's go back to that. We kind of started there and we kind of got off into the causes of uh, some of this discouragement that might be out there. What are some things maybe that were discussed at the, uh, at the retreat or maybe just some things that you yourself have, have stumbled upon or, uh, or leaned into as a, as a way of keeping fuel in the tank for this uh, unusually arduous journey? I think the thing that was uh, maybe the most helpful thing that I heard as we, as we discussed together and I, I'm sitting in the seat that was supposed to be sat in by Paul Martin today, and it was Paul that said this, and I found it very helpful. Uh, he kind of intimated the fact that very often as pastors, we're called on to lead while we're limping. Yeah. Um, and that sense that we often have, and I think it's come from, from a generation or more of, of 
general ease in pastoral work um, is not necessarily normal. And as we look at scripture, there's so many um, leaders in, in the scripture that are limping as they lead. And there's a, a, a point at which, you know, you, you probably need to unplug and, and get some other help. But, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we can evaluate a little bit and say, I've got enough uh, grace to, to get up and, and lead this congregation. And for me, I, I think sometimes even leading out of that brokenness with integrity, I, I think the congregation sees and recognizes uh, their pastor when, when you stand up and, and genuinely wrestle with the issues and, and with the Bible in your hand. I think that's both helpful to us and helpful to them. That's good. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear just from, from each of you how the pandemic, I, mean, I guess we're eight months now, how this experience has affected your spiritual disciplines. Uh, there was a great article that was on the TGC USA website a couple of weeks ago, why it's so hard to read your Bible all of a sudden. I read that with great interest. Um, curious, are you finding it harder to read your Bible? Are you finding it um, harder to pray? I'd love to hear from you. And I'll jump in at once, Clint. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say, Paul, I, I, think it's, I think it has been challenging. And I think uh, just the basic spiritual disciplines, because uh, you have so many concerns on your mind. And, and the, I call it this decision velocity. There's so many decisions that you have to make. And, and they're all seemingly urgent. You know, we, especially on the front end of this, there were so many things we had to sort out. And, and the result then is that you're mentally taxed as well as, as spiritually taxed because all of these decisions require not just uh, mental exertion, but, but you have to think of them spiritually and how does this affect your ecclesiology? Are we, are we abiding by what the scriptures are saying? Some of these things are, are really difficult hermeneutical questions to think through about relation to church and state or, or all these different things as well as just the whole lament uh, before God of just the fact of the pandemic and people getting sick. And so that, that drain, the result then is you're giving out all the time in this trying to be, you know, very pastoral in what you're doing. Well, then the result is then you're, you, you get quite empty. And so then the disciplines, because they're not, if they're not kind of in place, there isn't the urgency because you're having this urgency to, to answer all these other questions all the time. Yeah. And so I think it becomes difficult yeah. then to exert yourself in restocking the shelves, as it were, in, in being intentional about prayer. I think probably for pastors, they probably, and, and this is what I've been trying to do, is to take more time for the scriptures and more yeah. time to pray because you're slower. It takes longer to pray in the ways that you would, and you just need more gap. You need to kind of make space on your calendar so that you can kind of slowly get into prayer and slowly get into reading the Bible and give yourself lots of time. Otherwise, you know, the tyranny, the urgent seems to crowd it out. That's a good term. Yeah. Anyone else want to jump in on that? I think I've found it difficult to come at my time with God in the right attitude. Um, I'm finding that I'm a lot of the time I'm frustrated and angry and impatient and struggling with injustice and decision-making and all of that. And, and the weight, the sheer weight, I think Clint really touched on the sheer weight of decision-making application of scripture in a, 
um, in, a, in a time that is unprecedented for me. And uh, you know, there's, no, there's no guidebook on this is what you do when people shut down your church. And so uh, I think it's, it's been you know, necessary. I, I, I guess I'm feeling bad for the Lord on the other end of it because it's like a, a rotten kid showing up every day to, you know, with a bad attitude. So that's, that's been something I've noticed that's a little bit alarming for me hmm. uh, is where I'm, where I'm at attitudinally. That's good. I've, I've heard a couple pastors tell me now that they're having a harder time reading. Um, just, and I wonder if that's, I don't know whether that's because we're spending so many times, uh, so much time on Twitter, checking the latest update on the numbers. I, I don't know, but is that anyone experienced that where it's just, it's harder to read in depth and to study and, and to penetrate. I guess for me, I, I guess if I was going to sum up what I've gone through over the last six, seven months, it's, what was it? The tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the yeah. worst of times. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've had really, you know, because of so much of my regular pastoral ministry was just frozen. So yeah. I have been more in this office than ever before, but at the same time, social media and yeah. all the other things come in. But so what I've tried to do, this has probably been the biggest thing for me. I mean, I've tried to redeem social media. So I, you know, I did this daily devotional thing. That was, if you could redeem social media, Stephen, <laughs> I believe we would all be very thankful. <laughs> yeah. I would so like a I mean, report by the end of the month on that. But what I mean by that is just, I, I don't, I don't go on. I, I refuse to go to Twitter and read it. I, I don't, honestly don't go on Facebook and read all the statuses. I yeah. put stuff like scripture, prayer requests or prayers or things. I've tried to be that example of that. I did a daily devotion, which forced me to be in my Bible and in good books. So that's been very therapeutic and, and spiritually healthy for me. What I guess I'm amazed by is listening to what you guys have said. I went home to Debbie, my wife, and, and I've said multiple times in the last six months, I have so many things to be thankful for. Mm -hmm. And yet I want to quit. And I, I said, Debbie, I, I'm really struggling to reconcile this dichotomy of my own feelings. I, I've seen God do so many miraculous things in, in my life, our church's life and everything else. And yet I, I literally, during the first week of my holidays, drafted my letter of resignation. I, I, I wanted to quit. I, I have, I felt so low, so alone, so lonely. And then sit down and go, Steve, why are you feeling like this? Yeah. Um, and, and I, I don't know if it's, it's my Elijah moment, you know, where I felt like there was times I prayed fire down from heaven and then got a text and just wanted to quit, <laughs> you know? So it's just been a dichotomy of, of real roller coaster ups and downs for me personally. Well, and you're, you're a real extrovert I, from my perspective. Like I, I think I'm kind of middle of the road on that. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of pastor friends who are hard introverts. Uh, they're, they're real students and, and scholars, uh, but they struggle with, you know, making small talk in the lobby. And then I have lots of pastor friends. I would say probably most of my pastor friends are, are real extroverts and they are really energized by interacting. And I think of you as one of those, what fairly or not, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. And one of the things that I've discovered about myself over the course of this pandemic is even us guys in the middle, the, the mild extroverts, are really struggling from the loss of human contact. You know, one of you guys mentioned preaching to a, you know, to a camera uh, for whatever it was that three months in the middle of this pandemic, it, the loss of human interaction in, in the, the preaching process 
where you're just preaching to the same cameraman, uh, you know, every week uh, was weird. And I remember going home and saying to my wife after one of the Sunday services, she asked me, how did it go? And I said, I have no idea. Like, I'm used to some amens and some head bobbing and, and the lady over there who cries all the time. Like, I had no idea how much I, I fed on that. And I say this in a self-aware sense, like maybe that's not even a good thing. And how much having 30 people after the service tell you that that ministered to their soul, like how much that gave me fuel for the next round. And then when you, when you don't have any of that, I, I did one of my you know, self-awareness things over the course of this pandemic is I think I'm more of a people person than I realized. I think that I, I am wired to receive energy, uh, edification, uh, encouragement from my brothers and sisters in Christ. And when I'm deprived of that, I get cranky. Um, that's been my great, the discipline I'm, I'm by nature, I'm very disciplined. So I don't think it's affected my time in the word. I don't think I'm praying any, any less. Um, but I, I have felt the absence of God's care through the hands and through the mouths of, of brothers and sisters. That's been my takeaway. And, and if I can just bounce back to you, Steve, you're one of the most extroverted pastors I know. You, <laughs> would you identify that as the main, you know, mental, spiritual cost to you in the course of this pandemic? Yeah. I mean, we, like I said, I, I looked at a green dot. I didn't even have a cameraman. We had a stationary camera and I was in a room that's, that's 20 by 10 or 20 by 30 looking yeah. at a green dot. And often my peripheral view was a tech guy who was very expressive and the minor, the, the most minor thing that would went go, go wrong his body language, I thought nuclear bombs had just been, you know, yeah. set off. And so I thought the whole world was coming to an end, but you're still looking at that camera. And, and one thing I discovered, even as you said, it's not just getting text because our church was so gracious to send me text afterwards or send me an email, but it wasn't the same to no. look into human eyes yeah. and realize that. And, and, and it was just so difficult. I would go home and I literally, I wouldn't eat lunch. I would go home. I'd go right to bed. I would sleep for two to three solid hours before I was functional again um, because I longed for human interaction. Lord, is this making any kind of a difference? And it was hard. It was really hard to trust. Well, that, that brings me to kind of the, where I want to transition. The phrase that I've been using a lot over the course of this pandemic is uh, stress test. I, I think this is a dress rehearsal for the church as an organization in the sense that it's given, this is a, this is a gentle catastrophe, you know. Uh, when you think of, the, of, of some of the plagues in, in history past where 30% mortality rate, you think of the Roman Empire, all the, the tens of millions of people that were dying in the plagues in the fifth century. It, what's the death rate in this pandemic? You know, I've seen different numbers. I've seen 1%, I've seen less than 1%, I've seen 5%. But regardless, it's not 30. This has been a gentle pandemic. It's given us a chance to basically practice all of our, our procedures. But it's also been, I think, a, uh, a stress test for pastors. It's, this, again, has been a gentle catastrophe. I have not buried 30% of my people. I just, that's not a thing. Uh, in fact, I'm not aware of a single person in our church, either our membership or our constituency, that has been seriously affected by, by COVID-19. I'm only aware of two positive tests in our, in our wider you know, sphere of influence, and both those people recovered with very limited symptoms. So it's, it's, it's been a dress rehearsal. It's been a stress test. So here, leaving the, the mental health question behind with, with this as our last go at it, 
what have you learned about yourself? What has this stress test told you? And what are you going to do differently so that you're better prepared for the next crisis? Mark, why don't we start with you? Um, the initial, you know, uh, months, uh, I think were uh, in many ways better than the later months. I, I, I found a fatigue. Um, you know, I, here's what happens to me, and you maybe have had the experience too. You think, oh, you hear about so-and-so and they're a little disappointed because they haven't heard from anybody lately. And you say, well, I just talked to them in July. Oh, wait a minute. No, it was June. Oh, wait, it's the end of September. Oh my goodness. I haven't talked to people for three months. You know, yeah. um, I, I'm routinely um, realizing that, you know, what I did really well at the beginning, um, I, especially over summer, and I don't know if summer had something to do with it, but over summer, some of those things have, have kind of frayed a little bit and, and I need to get back on top of those, especially if we're going to uh, continue on this way for some time. So that's something I, 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 I've learned about myself is, is in, a, in a crisis, I'm good real quick. <laughs> Don't make it last for eight months. <laughs> good. How about yourself, Clint? Yeah, I, I think through it all, I've learned that um, being faithful, uh, seeking the Lord to grant perseverance, is uh, just such a such a precious thing, and and so the the temptation to get distracted by the news cycle, uh, even distracted by the whims and pulls of congregants, uh, as they want you to kind of go in different directions, and and uh, the, just the need to be faithful and to be steady, I think it requires then um, just what we were talking about earlier. You do have to kind of look after yourself. You have to look after yourself mentally, physically, and spiritually. And, and you know, if Spurgeon needed to go down to the south of France, uh, maybe a pastor needs a vacation. Uh, maybe he needs it, to take... It is surprising how much vacation time Spurgeon took. Uh, and, and, I, and I wonder if that's a European versus a North American thing. And North Americans are notorious for not taking a great deal of vacation. But... Yeah, that's, that's a, I'm glad you said that, Clint, because I, I do think a lot of us went into this pandemic not having taken adequate vacation time. One of the takeaways ought to be, whenever there's not a pandemic, take all the vacation you're permitted by your church. Yeah, yeah, I, I, was, I, I had a big chunk off this summer, and I needed it. I, I really needed it because, you know, like everybody else, we were doing online stuff, and I was doing preaching through Romans through the week, weekdays in a chapel thing. Uh, so it was just very taxing and I needed it, but as well, you've got to get refreshed so that you can focus on the challenges at hand. And I think even as we were talking about the preaching part, I think we're being reminded, or I've been reminded that really we've got an audience of one and we're just to be faithful before the Lord. And there might be lots of people. There might be fewer people. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. The success syndrome should be out the door We're we're just needing to be faithful with the people that God has entrusted to us. And that becomes more and more precious that we can just be steady, having unity in the church and just keep being faithful in the main things. Uh, that becomes surprisingly rare in this yo-yo like uh, current moment. And so I, so that, those are some of the things that I've learned for myself through this. Good. Rick, how are you going to be better the next time around? What are you going to do? 
Well, I, I don't know because I, what I've discovered is uh, I'm very action addicted. And um, so I'm really not wired to go into idle. And I think that's been a real challenge, particularly because I, you know, I know there's a lot of disagreement uh, in what's, which side of the fence we should be on, but, but when I'm not convinced that the obstacle or hurdle in my way is legitimate, uh, I find that real challenging. And that's where I'm at, you know, 99.98% of people get better after COVID. I find that a real challenge to explain why we're, why we're idling back and idling down. Mm -hmm. the, the numbers just don't work for me. And that, you know, and that's just me. I'm, I'm not a doctor or anything, but, but I can read numbers. I can read stats and uh, it's, it's always been kind of get out of my way and let's get going. So, um, I mean, that's what I've, I've, I've learned how acutely I am there and uh, I'm having to deal with that for sure. What about you, Steve? Uh, take away, and if this is a dress rehearsal, if this is a stress test, what have you learned that's going to better prepare you for the next crisis? I think as Mark, I really related to what Mark said, I think I didn't realize how much I put out in the early days so that all of a sudden when things, I started to get into a rhythm, then all of a sudden my body just said, you're done. Yeah. And my sleep patterns, everything was off. And I think what Rick mentioned too is because I wasn't acknowledging this tug of war. There was this, this public persona of me trying to be gracious, trying to, you know, uh, honor, you know, Romans and stuff like yeah. that. And yet then there was this personal side of me that was just like, I, I don't buy this and I, I, yeah. you know, I'm struggling with this. And so I'm glad that nobody I, took a recording of my wife and I's conversation yeah, at the heat of this pandemic when we would go absolutely. for our, our, our nighttime walk because yeah. we weren't always as gracious. The other thing I found is balance, like what Mark said too, that I resonated with. I, I went into this and we had to do so many things. And because as you said, Paul, I'm an extrovert. So I, I get, went right into mode to just like fix everything, get online, get everything done, start up everything we could. And I drifted away from those phone calls and all those mm. things. And then I just got so just melancholy and discouraged by it all. And I, you know, why bother? You know, I'm yeah. just doing this. These people should know I love them. I've served them now for five years here. You know, if I don't call them once in this, like they should. And just, then I just got really irritated and irritable and, yeah. and stuff like that. So I, I, I started kind of getting into a physical regime, like started to lift weights a little bit, my own body weight, do some things. I think I waited too long. So I think yeah. I going into the next thing, I would be much more aware of what was going to happen to me yeah. and, and try to pace myself much more than I did. I just jumped yeah. right into this thing. That's a and great I think word. I just spent myself in the first 50 yards, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, so I'm so glad you said that. I, I would love for that to be one of the main takeaways. I think we all went into this pandemic, or certainly I did, and almost everybody I, I was talking to did, thinking this is going to be a 400-meter dash. Uh, well, it's turned into a marathon with no yeah. end in sight, right? And so if you set a 400-meter pace, um, you know, by, by mid-July, you were pretty cranky. And, yeah. and there were, a, by mid-July, I, I had a lot of cranky friends, and, and all my friends had a very cranky meet. <laughs> And uh, so that, yeah, that's a great word, Steve. Just, just assume the marathon uh, from the outset of the next crisis. That's a good word. Uh, let's, uh, I, let me flip that question just a little bit as a transition into our next topic. But uh, we, we've been talking a lot about the pastor. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the church. Um, if this was a dress rehearsal, if this was a stress test, 
did you learn anything about the church that uh, maybe we need to shore up? It, it, you know, I, I kind of look at it and, and think, um, you know, if, if this is a rainstorm, it's, it's, it's not a torrential downpour, it's not a hurricane. But if, if, you've, if you identify a little bit of a leak in your roof in a rainstorm, you want to get that fixed before, uh, you know, Hurricane Sandy comes blowing in. So uh, what, what did we learn about the church? It can be the evangelical church. It could be your church. Uh, I just want to transition a little bit in, into ecclesiology. Anybody want to grab that one first? Mark, you're shaking your head a lot. That, that indicates that I think you have a thought to share. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if my, if my uh, uh, thoughts are really straight on this, but um, hmm. with, with, my, with my own congregation, um, and I think we're all experiencing this a little bit, there, there are, I have a distinct concern for the people I haven't seen back. We've been opened again since June. You can come inside. You can sit in the parking lot and listen to us broadcast on our one kilometer radius FM radio. Um, the ones that haven't come back, you, there's a concern for me that there's a, uh, you know, uh, are they tuning in? Are they catching anything? Uh, are they drifting away and falling away? Um, I don't know if I'm really answering that question. I'm just kind of thinking through it right now. No, I think that's a, a great question, Mark. And, um, you know, that's sort of one of the things that I've been thinking about, or one of the lessons for me, I want to make sure I have better shepherding structures in place. Um, because I just realized it's, we can get lazy as pastors when we just assume I'll, all my sheep will show up every Sunday, and I'll give them a once over at the door, uh, or from the, from the pulpit. Well, in, in a situation like this, when you don't get to see your whole flock, uh, I was immediately aware that I'd, I'd like to have better shepherding systems in place. And, uh, you know, in my mind, I started thinking, I want to divide our congregation into, into four groups or eight groups. And I want to make sure I've got two elders over each group. And, and hmm. I want to make sure that, you know, even if we were not able to meet in this building, like if the building burnt down or if, you know, if the government shut us down, that I've got the, the large group broken up into smaller units. And yeah, so Shepherding structures is something that I was thinking a lot about too. That's a good word. Anyone else? Rick, you, you have thoughts up there, I can tell. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose what's been alarming, an alarming wake-up call for me with terms of church health is how fearful, how easily fearful the church is. Yeah. Um, how influenced they are by cultural think and cultural values. Um, how temporal their vision is uh, of, of reality, um, I, I, how ready, I think Clint mentioned this, how ready they are to weaponize preference, preferences. Yeah, that's a good word. All of those have been really alarming to me, and, and uh, although I anticipated or, I, you know, you've always held those thoughts in the back of your mind, we've now had a chance to have the theater of those things played out for us, and I think I think it's it's uh, it's shaping what I need to think about going forward for sure. All right, great insights. Clint, how about yourself? Yeah, just to echo what the other guys said. I, I think um, I, I I've been surprised at at the thinness uh, of the discipleship in the church, and and I think for at least in this conversation, this kind of uh, gospel coalition Canada crowd, uh, we are those that 
for lack of a better term, we want to pride ourselves on being a little bit more theological and, you know, equipping people. And then to see just how quickly people who you think they've got all these resources, like I think even at a wider sense, there's no other time we've had books and articles, yeah. websites and podcasts and yeah. everybody can tweak them and link to them on Facebook. And yet when it comes down to how to think biblically about controversies, how to think yeah. biblically about the pandemic, how to think biblically about the government, how to think biblically about the church, then there's a lot of really poor thinking, a lot of rash emotionalism uh, and, and ends up being, you, you have sheep, hopefully, that, that end up scattering. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's been, I feel a little bit like Paul, maybe towards the Galatians, you know, feeling that perplexity, I'm astonished and, yeah. and uh, maybe I shouldn't be, but it's, but it's also a bit of a condemnation on myself that I thought we were maybe doing a better job than we were. And so that's been exposed to me that, yeah, we, we just got to work and just be a little bit more intentional. I think you mentioned, Paul, just those shepherding structures and including that discipleship structure so that it's not just, you know, stuff in the head or you've got the book on the shelf, but you actually know how to implement it in the practical ethics of life. And, and that's where I see the big gap is between the doctrine and the ethics in life. And so yeah. uh, really want to address that going forward. Yeah, not to jump back into the, into the last conversation, but I think that that is that goes back to the whole stress on pastors. But but I think it's a good stress. Like not all stress is bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some stress is good. Um, it, it it tells you there's something wrong, and it it tells you you got to make change. I think in, in essence, we've all just got a midterm report card, and 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 I know I I was you know I feel like my mark is not as good as I expected it to be, and my initial reaction to that is depression. Like, wow, I've done a bad job of pastoring some of our people. And, you know, Uncle Paul doesn't like bad marks. And so I'm feeling a little sad about that. But at the same day, I'd rather get that mark now than on Judgment Day, right? And if, and if Hebrews 13 is to be believed, um, I have a final exam coming. And I'd really like to know in advance that I'm not doing very well. Uh, because, it, you know, at least that allows me some, some opportunity to, to bring that grade up. And, and so like you, I, I, I have received uh, an indication I'm not super happy with in terms of our health meter, but I'm, I'm resolved by the grace of God to, you know, see this do better the next time around. So, Stephen, did alarming you hear what you yeah. Alarming for me, Paul, is it's a little bit further along than a midterm report. Yeah. Why? In, yeah. In my, in my stage of ministry. Yeah, I thought at first you were making an eschatological comment, but I, I realized that was a personal comment. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Stephen, did you want to jump in on that? I, I think, again, very similar. You, you know, I, I, it's weird. I, I guess I've been very, very blessed by the way our church as a whole has responded. I've been really blessed. I've also been blessed because, you know, I wear a couple of hats. I'm not just a lead elder of a church, but we're trying to start a church planning network. And yeah. So I've been so blessed by how many churches have come alongside us, stuck with us, yeah. the encouragement. The fact that I'm on here with four brothers that I love and care about, there's been a lot of wonderful things. And then on top of that, there's been these wars I've seen amongst my friends about, as, as, as Rick said, you know, weaponizing preferences where I see yeah. guys that I've admired, whether it be John MacArthur or Mark or, uh, Mark Dever and these types of things. And I've seen it across our country. I've yeah. seen guys post things and I'm like, why are you posting that? Um, and I think what's maybe what I'm not used to is 
it's all coming. Like, you know, in normal, regular pace of life, you'll get the occasional dumb thing that's said. You'll, you'll hear about the occasional thing that happens. You'll get the occasional encouragement. But now it just seems like it's all coming at you like a fire hose all the time. Yeah. And I think that's what I found the most challenging and discouraging when I think of church Catholic, big C, yeah. um, is, man, why are we just at each other? Um, and yeah. we're doing it with megaphones of social media. Um, yeah, that's been the great. So I mean, we, most of us, I guess all of us in our answers, put the, put the spotlight on our own local church. But you're right. If you zoom out and look at the evangelical church as a whole, in my mind, that's been the saddest part of this pandemic. It's just we don't react well to, to conflict, chaos, and conspiracy. That, that's been my observation, that we turn on each other. Uh, and in a, in a time of uncertainty, you'd, you'd like to see us err on the side of grace and humility. Um, but in, instead, as, as Rick said, we've weaponized our, our points of view. And of course, we may be right, we may be wrong. That, my perspective has always been, I don't, you could be right, like you, but I don't care. Like right now, I'm focused on the bottom line. How do we, you know, how do we get ministry going? How do we reach out to people? How do we do it? And so I just, I don't have a lot of energy to agree or disagree with your theory. I don't care. Um, and I, I certainly don't like to see people you know, judging others and saying, you lack courage if you disagree with me, or you lack compassion if you disagree with me. That's not helpful. And uh, there has been a lot of that in the wider evangelical world. Let's, let's, that's a perfect transition. Let's transition into our next topic, which is the whole topic of church and state. Uh, Stephen, you made reference to uh, John MacArthur that we want to be careful using that as a launching pad because his context is so different than ours. And, yeah. and I think in California, an argument could be made that, that, the church is being unfairly targeted. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to get representation from different health units, from, di from different provinces, is because I think this conversation almost has to have a regional perspective. Um, because I have yet to have a conversation with a pastor who doesn't understand that at some point we all have to be prepared to, to defy the state in order to obey Christ. I haven't yet met anybody who disagrees with that, or I, I, I know, I'm sure there are pastors who disagree. I haven't been interacting with them. Everybody agrees that where the disagreement is, is on, on the when, at what point do, do these particular protocols justify us in appealing to the Acts 5 exception clause in scripture or not? That's the conversation. And so I would say, you know, we're all on the same page here, but we might be different paragraph to paragraph. So I'd, I'd just love to hear region by region. Clint, I want to start with you on this because I know in the in the Western Canada, it's a little bit different. Your protocols are different. And uh, and I understand you actually facilitated a meeting of, of pastors to discuss this. So uh, you'd be the perfect one to start this off. Yeah, so we had a, a chapter meeting of our Gospel Coalition Prairies. And we talked about basically pastors on the one hand and churches disobeying the government restrictions or, or obeying them. And, yeah. and so we had a presentation of, of, of a, of a pastor who his church was not complying with the regulations. And then I presented uh, our church complying, but what was interesting as we, as we were discussing, and I, and I should say in Alberta, I think only maybe South Dakota and Sweden are maybe more open than we are. Uh, and yet Alberta pastors, very freedom loving and Albertans generally are, you know, really frustrated with uh, the existing government regulations. 
And yet, by meeting together and talking through these issues, what we came, what, what was clear, I think, for all the pastors there, was that you have different pastors, just as you said, Paul, they're on the spectrum of the when. Yeah. And so some have already got there, and they're, they're saying that by their interpretation, their conclusion, that they're justified in disobeying the government because the government is not justified in their view uh, uh, in, in applying these uh, different regulations. But what we found was, and this is what was fascinating to me, the more we talked and we talked about what was going on, even the guys that were disobeying the government regulations, they still had all the same pastoral issues, caring for people with different views, people that yeah. wanted to apply, they had all the same pastoral issues as all the guys that were in compliance. So even as pastors are, are you know, making different applications, they still have similar pastoral situations. And so I found that to be very helpful. I think all the other pastors did that, that actually there's a lot more in common. And I would just suggest that that's what we want to emphasize is that regardless of where your convictions are, and, and Rick pointed out, you know, each pastor, you, you, you do have to lead. You, you can't just simply always go by consensus. You have to have your yeah. convictions, you lead. Yeah. And if you lead in a different way, but just to recognize that the church down the street, even if they have different convictions than you, likely they are still facing all the same issues rather than to put it, as you mentioned, Paul, in this, well, those are the cowards over there, or those are the people that don't care about their neighbors or you know, and into this polarizing tribalism. Yeah. I think we actually have quite a bit more unity in terms of thoughtful pastoral care, even if guys are getting to different conclusions about whether or not to conform or not conform. No, I, I agree. I agree 100%. Rick, did you want to jump in on that? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a big topic for me, a big issue for me, and I'll try to Condense the issue. I, the issue for me, of course, with government versus the scripture responsibilities um, is way bigger than COVID. I, I think COVID's sort of been a trailer in my mind of, of an absolute overreach by the government into the affairs of the church, which we complied with and most complied with be, based on the care of our, of our flock in terms of their health. But, but where it comes to soul health and all of that, uh, the government telling us that uh, you know we can't baptize and we can't have communion and all of the things that our Lord actually commissioned us to do, who is the one who has all authority to go make disciples and baptize them, and, and you know I agree it's the how long how long do you endure, you know that's the question Paul that you yeah. read and it's the right question yeah but, but I also would sort of take exception and and I know you didn't mean it this way but. When you say you might be right, but I don't really care because the, we've got this moment. I, I do care that we get this. And I, I know you didn't mean this, but I, I do care that we get this right because the issue is way bigger. I mean, we, we've got things sitting out in, in the offing that are coming against the church by the government that are the metaphor of putting a, a, a muzzle over our mouth is actually going to come into play in, in Bill C-8, for instance, with the conversion therapy issue and mm -hmm. You know, you know, as the as the church, there is a this this is as I said, this is the trailer to understand the government has a lot of power and a lot of authority and doesn't mind stepping on the rights, the charter rights issues of churches. And um, I think we need to stir up some, some more robust 
energy and thinking that this isn't just about COVID and we'll get over this. This is about a whole track and a whole journey that, that our government, you know, north of the border is all about. And, um, you know, there, there is an agenda, but COVID isn't it. And, and there is a conspiracy, but COVID isn't it. There's a satanic conspiracy. Yeah. You know, the reason, they, the reason they tried to kill all the babies in Bethlehem is to get to one baby. So let's not forget that. And the reason that all this is going on is because the prize is the church. And, and, you know, the culture is driven by the God of this age to go after the church, even though they're dupes to that. So I think, I think we need to at least be alarmed at, at, the, at, at what we maybe never thought could happen in Canada or never anticipated and are actually living through a very heavy-handed, temporary, well, we've got our, our prime minister canceling Thanksgiving and telling us that Christmas might be in jeopardy and maybe next summer and, and next Easter for sure. So, you know, this is going on and on. So how long do little yeah. children that can't do video and, and can't do things not gather? When, when do they say Romans 13 no longer applies to us uh, in, in, in this moment because the Great Commission applies? And so for, I, I'm probably a little further along in maybe it's again my age. I don't have many years to, to help out in leadership. Um, and I want to leave something for my children and my grandchildren that as a watchman on the watchtower is at least, least given the best energy I have to push back and, and uh, make certain that, that our country and our government know that there is a Lord of glory and there is a God over this country and he is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who has all authority and he's the one who supersedes uh, all decisions that I make. And, and I know that Paul, in writing Romans 13 or the Timothy chapter or Peter in, in his text, was not suggesting that we would go against the Great Commission in terms of our obedience of a government. I know that for a fact. So I think, I think those are the things that, for me, are, are, are simmering or maybe to boiling point. We'll see. Yeah. No, those, I mean, those are all the thoughts that should be in, in our minds. As I said, we're all going to feel like the line is crossed at a, at a slightly different Point. I mean, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that the church has historically understood that if, if a, a ban on, on public worship is temporary in nature and directed at public health, then the historic understanding of the church is that that should be obeyed, right? Richard Baxter and his directory said that explicitly. Like, if, if the ban is temporary, if it's designed for public health, then by all means. But if it's malicious, uh, I think he used the term, if it's blasphemous, meaning if it's intentionally targeted at, uh, at shutting the mouth of, of the praise of the Lord, then, then it is to be resisted. And so I think we're all, I hate to use the expression reading the tea leaves, I suppose that's not appropriate, but we're all, we're all trying to read, the, read between the lines here and see what, what's this about? Is this, is this targeted at the worship of the Lord or, or is this targeted at the health of the neighbor? And um, yeah, we're, I mean, I think it's even possible that a faithful person will say that will change their mind on that over the course of this pandemic. Meaning at first say, Hey, this, this is about public health. And then 13 months in say, I don't know. I think something has shifted and uh, their, their approach may change. I'd love to hear from you guys. How are you reading between the lines? How are you weighing this really difficult question? Yeah. yeah so for me, I think two things, first of all, I think it's important. I pastor a, a smaller church. Right? Our, our church is 
you know, 70 members and average attendance of 115. So already the regulations I have allow me almost to get back to normal. Right, and right. it's it's important for me to have a sense of humility and quietness when I look at churches that have, you know, when I talk about John MacArthur, it's not to be disparaging. I can't imagine the pressure if you, you know, if the number is 100 and you pastor a church of five or eight or 9,000, yeah. um, it's a completely different thing. Even churches in our city that have 300 or 600, they're having to wrestle with much bigger decisions than I do. Yeah. Um, the other thing I've been watching for is the idea of where are the restrictions being pointed? Yeah. So in, in our culture here, again, as Newfoundlanders, they're, they're very much about justice and fairness. So as long as the government is kind of being, you know, whether you think irrational or whatever, but doing that towards everybody, then there's been a little bit more a sense of patience amongst us on, on a personal level. The other thing I'm trying to, to show, and this is a balancing act, is, you know, taking things like masks and the fact that we have to wear them while we're singing and stuff like that. I am trying to teach an example, even though I have a personal opinion about masks and their effectiveness and dot, 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 this, to show the world, throw at me all of your inconveniences and you will not rob me of the ability to joyfully and, and just urgently proclaim Jesus Christ. Yeah. You, my joy is not that fragile. However, on the flip side, at some point, you do have to say, guys, this is now not even about science. This is not about the public good. This is about looking like you're doing something and it's not even helpful to the public. And, and I think that's where I'm trying to navigate. Lord, when do I make those types of statements? And, and I guess the, the litmus test for me at, at this point is when someone tells me I cannot proclaim my savior, then, then, you know, I, I've got to, I've got to do something about that. But, and, and to be clear, you don't feel like at this point you're being told that, right? Like, no, not, not at told. this point. Right. right. And again, but I, I'd be the first one to admit, this is why, well, so I have no problems with what Mark Dever's done or John MacArthur's right. done. I really, really yeah. don't. My problem was when my brother looked in front of a camera and said, and if you don't do what I do and put yeah. that over mass media saying you are not being faithful. And I thought, John, now you've yeah. crossed the line. Yeah, and I don't know if, if he meant if he meant it to be heard that way, but I, right. I know it has been heard because that it gets used then by parishioners against right. the pastors. You know, and I've said here, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like our situation is analogous to John's situation in California. Right. Like we are we have the best deal in town. Uh, we have the on Sunday, we have the largest public gathering in our city. Uh, we have way more people than the local movie theater. We have way more people uh, than the art gallery. We have the best deal in town. And, uh, and so I, it just doesn't feel to me like this is a malicious targeting of the church. It feels like an awkward, clumsy, and potentially even ill-informed attempt to guard the public health. But, but since my undergraduate degree was in classics and religious studies, and I only took two science courses in university, and neither of them were in epidemiology, I don't feel qualified to, you know, light my torch and, and, and lead a march on, on the health unit. Um, it, like, you know, like Rick said, I can read a spreadsheet and it doesn't look like this is a high consequence virus, but all my doctor friends, and we've got several of them in our church who are at the regional hospital here, they've taken courses in epidemiology and they're quite concerned. And that just gives me a little bit of pause saying, well, maybe, you know, Greek and Mesopotamian history boy should zip it for a little bit and and just wait to see you know what the experts say that that's where i've 
kind of landed. But you're, you, I didn't like the sense that, hey, this makes me less courageous. I would say I think there's some humility in saying, I just don't feel qualified to overturn the consensus of the health unit at this point. Paul, can, Paul you're, you're the host, and I don't mean to jump in here. And Do it. Well, that's the whole, it wouldn't be any fun if you all agreed with me. Take a different uh, uh, direction. But, uh, but I, think, I think the people who might be listening in on this, some of the leaders that might be listening in, be interested in us because we've talked about all of us agree that the, the early pivot was was sensible and and uh, but now we've learned more things i think i think people would be interested and pastors are going to be ne needing to make these decisions what about what about if the government now pulls back and puts the screws on and pushes us back out and and our numbers are no longer yeah it's a great question for churches uh because while you may have some doctors in your church agreeing with this i've got doctors in my church who entirely disagree which is the why the problem with what's going yeah. on there. Yeah. You know, they're, they're shutting 100 nurses or laying 100 nurses off in newmarket hospital all the while claiming we're having a second wave that something just doesn't jive i think people out there leaders out there are going to say when when has the government squeezed us too much and can't demonstrably justify what they're doing and what are we going to do and lead? How are we going to lead next? I, I agree with you there, Rick. Actually, I was hoping you'd, you'd, you'd be further from me than, than that. Cause actually I would say the same, same thing. Like uh, I think that is exactly the question. Cause I, I agree. I'm my, I don't believe in human conspiracies. Or, I, I know that there are a few, but I'm, I'm skeptical because I, don't, I think by and large humans are incapable of this degree of coordination and, and, uh, uh, they're not good at keeping secrets, but I absolutely believe in demonic conspiracies. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if the government, having realized how easy it is to control people uh, through, you know, health tactics, all you have to do is threaten people's health and they're willing to do just about anything you ask them to, wouldn't surprise me at all if eventually that turned into um, a malicious attempt to control, a malicious attempt to shut down the church. It wouldn't, that wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, it'd be surprising to me if somebody hasn't thought of that, if that, real, if that light bulb hasn't popped in somebody's mind in the government. But that still leaves us with, with the question of when and how, right? At what point is that line crossed? So you raise a real practical question. If they took away our 30%, that's what we're dealing with in Ontario. We're allowed to have 30% of our building capacity. If they took that back, would, would we feel justified in resisting? Mark, uh, you're in Ontario. Uh, you're yeah. dealing with the same 30%. If they took that back and said, uh, no more 30% gatherings uh, during the second wave, what would you do? Yeah. Um, so you, you wanted somebody to be a little further from you, Paul, so I'll be your man. Um, <laughs> because I, I've, said to my, I've said to my congregation, we have, it's been a long time, and I think slowly, and I wrestle through these things. I think to Romans 13 and Acts 5, are added Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel in Persia, where there's a general restriction from praying for, it doesn't matter if you're Daniel, it's, there's definitely a, a scheme against Daniel, but that applies to the Babylonians and the Assyrians and every other person, you know. Um, so at the, at the end of that, the, the axes that we're making a decision on cannot be um, what was done historically? What did Richard Baxter say? That's interesting, but that's not our first axis. It can't be on, well, this is a really mild pandemic, but if it was a really serious pandemic, it would be a different answer. There's a whole bunch of different axes. Certainly can't be, and this is where I would have some exception to what John MacArthur has done. I don't want to stand in front of my congregation and say, 
COVID is this or isn't that. I don't know what COVID is. But at the end of the day, I have said to my congregation, and I've said to it very, very quietly, and now on social media, I guess, um, we would never close these doors again. Not for Spanish influenza, not for anything. We would never close these doors again. We will observe the required physical distancing as long as we can. We will ask you to wear a mask. We don't see an issue with that. Um, and we're not mandating that you come. But I, I have grave concern when I see so many churches still closed. I do realize people can catch a service on social media. But, I, you know, I like the thought that a person can come through a door and be welcomed in. And even if that means, even if the government threatens, even if a lion's den awaits, even if a fiery furnace waits, even if a $10,000 fine awaits, um, you know, now, and I also, so now I've waited myself out on, on, a, on a, a, a limb. Um, I respect the fact that guys are at different places conscientiously and that their conscience will not allow them. But my conscience binds me at this point. I, I could not with good conscience in the future say to the government, yes, we will absolutely close the door for the sake of public safety or for any other sake. Um, I, I don't think I'd publish that all over the place, but just privately to my people, I've said, I will be in this pulpit, that door will not be locked and I would not turn away anybody who came to hear what is gonna happen here. So to, to, to use the uh, Mark Devers analogy, because they, they, this has been part of their narrative, which I think has just been helpful in getting us thinking. In World War II, churches were asked, uh, you know, not to have evening services because they didn't want to light up cities. Um, and, uh, and so churches, churches respected that um, out, out of an interest of public safety. Would, in a situation like that, I mean, obviously that's an extreme situation, but are you saying your conscience would be bound? You, you, would, have to, you would have to do that? Or would you say, well, we'll then only do morning services or we'll, we'll meet in a way so you'll, you'll try to accommodate the safety concerns without entirely shutting down? Or are you yeah. just saying, I'm done with safety concerns? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm very open to accommodating safety concerns. I've said to the congregation, yeah. you know, this, there's a tension on Romans 13 and Acts 5. And at that place where we perceive the government has taken authority that is not theirs, we don't at that point say, well, we're no longer going to obey the speed limit and, and, and we're not going to pay taxes anymore we go at this place, we cannot obey you. But, you know, so for your example, for sure, if the government were to say, we don't want you immediate night because you're going to light up the city and, and be a risk to us, we would take that under advisement. Um, but it would probably be to accommodate what they desire, but not necessarily the way they desire it. Yeah, that's a great distinction. That's what I was hoping you'd say. Yeah. In that case, I think you meet in the basement without lights. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I, I am. I am, I think our learning curve has been, let's, let's find out if we can obey the spirit without necessarily obeying the letter with, with respect to these protocols, because at some point they, they do, yeah, they become unreasonable. Guys over there, West Coast and East Coast, let's hear from you. I, I'd say that pastors and churches need to work at exercising the liberties that they do have. Yeah. And some churches aren't, aren't taking advantage of all the liberties and all the things that they can. They can. Yeah. And it's just like muscles. They've got to be used. So I think they need to use the liberties that they already have <clears throat> in order to be prepared to use them you know, as things change. 
as well, I think pastors and churches need to be engaging with the authorities, whether it's writing letters or uh, being in contact and learning how to respectfully engage with these appointed authorities over us yeah. so that then they, there will come a time when there needs to be resistance or, or whatever, but you don't just jump into that. It, you, yeah. you, I think all of us need to kind of work at that. And so we've been, and with different levels of government, we've been writing letters to the city of Calgary. We've been, I've been involved in a, in drafting a letter for the provincial government, you know, and so there's different one, different things like that. And it doesn't all have to be um, high rhetoric and antagonistic, mm-hmm. but we have to recognize that these are people in government. They need help. I think my, my view is most of them don't really know what to do either. Yeah. So then if you can persuade and help and, and, and push back, you know, give some resistance, give some pushback while still submitting to regulations or the spirit of them or whatever it is. Often they're quite appreciative and then they know where everybody stands. But I think we've, there's a lot of work to do that way where we, uh, you know, try to develop those muscles of, of engaging. And as Rick was pointing out, you know, just thinking through, you know, as you, as you maybe are more sus- suspect about the regulations going forward, well, now with, that's the time we've got to be engaging with local officials and, and, and we're finding out here, the local government, the city government has more restrictions than the provincial government does. And so just even navigating through different jurisdictions and you've just got to be on your toes. And I think it's just a whole set of muscles uh, that we have to exercise a bit more. That's a, that's a great, that's a great comment. And, you know, we've used that phrase dress rehearsal a few times. You know, I would say a lot of uh, pastors learned the email address of their local MPP and uh, other local health unit as a result of this pandemic. And that's not a bad thing. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I had, I had never emailed Dr. Gardner, our, our uh, local health unit guy, before this pandemic. That's, that's not good. Um, I, I did not have the email address of our MPP. Uh, that's not good. I have it now. Uh, and they know who I am because uh, they're getting emails from me on a regular basis now. And that's, that's not a bad thing. Like we've all um, had to practice that. And I think that's a good thing because as I said, we'll, we'll probably need to, to press back. And I love what you said too about using the permission that we have. Mm-hmm. That's been our philosophy here so far. Our, as I said to our guys, we, you know, we wrestled around the table as elders. And then here I said, okay, here's our, where I think we've landed. And this is where I'm going to hold the line we are going to use every single inch of permission that we're given by the government, every inch. And we had guys who were wanting to be more cautious saying, well, I don't know, you know, I know they're letting us, but we don't want to be the ones, you know, as identified as the locus of the outbreak. And we said, no, 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 we're going to use every inch of permission that we're given. And, and we're going to rattle the cage a little bit. We're going to rattle the fence a little bit and ask why this, why not that? And, but we're not at this point prepared to break the law. That's, that's where we landed. But you're right. I, I, you know, I don't want to, we've just talked about not judging other guys, but I, I do have concerns with churches who are willing to not use that space. Cause I think whatever you don't use is going to be squeezed and taken from you. So I, I would say before Steve jumps in there yeah. uh, that, you know, be careful with that, that rhetoric. I've heard that a lot. We don't want to be blamed. The church survived Nemo blaming them for burning down Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't probably do that. But they didn't burn down Rome, right? I mean, no. I, I meaning I press back against that objection too. But yeah. at the same time, I think that is the argument for being cautious in defiance: is that what if we're wrong? What if 
you know, like I said, I have not taken epidemiology in university. What if we're wrong and the church does become a locus of an outbreak? That's not going to help our witness going forward. We're going to be known as the people who don't love our neighbors. So that's, that's not a ridiculous concern. I, but like you, I push back on it as well. I think some things is big picture too. Like in front, I'm listening to the, the four of you talk and I think about, again, you, you asked earlier to backtrack a little bit about the, what the effect of the, of the church and I think that, you know, so I actually find my local government easier to deal with. My provincial government is pretty, it's the federal government that I find feels so far away. And yeah. we haven't had a bit of a united church front to push out there and ask some of these things. The other thing that I think gets lost in this argument is we're so focused on the coronavirus and people give tacit lip service to all of the other things that are killing human beings in our country that the church is commanded of God to care for. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I had a week, 72 hours, where I was emergency contacted for four different people who were going to take their own life. Mm -hmm. That has never happened to me in 25 years. And I'll say that and people go, oh yeah, no, it's bad. No, that's tragic. Because I'm like you, Paul, nobody in any sphere of influence of my life has contracted coronavirus. Yeah. You know, we've had three deaths in Newfoundland. Nine people have died of influenza in Newfoundland uh, in, in the same period of time. It'd be Let interesting alone, to know how many drug overdoses there are. Oh, my goodness. Even our own health officials in the reports are saying drugs are, drug use is up. The quality is down. Uh, you know, alcoholism is up. And, and I just feel that if the church would stop throwing stones at when, how, what, and come together and say, let's ask unitedly some honest questions of our government leaders, that is not rising up in civil disobedience. I, I, I want to be as compliant as I can be. But let's, for goodness sake, say, guys, um, it seems like you've elevated the health of one group to the demise of many others. Yeah. And that, that's, that's why I, I struggle. That needs to be part of the conversation. But there, and that gets us into the how. Like, it actually doesn't sound like there's a lot of disagreement here on the when. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, we're, we haven't necessarily achieved clarity on that, but we all agree that there is a when. There is a when when you say, okay, guys, I think the focus has shifted here. Uh, I think this, you know, you, you said it was about A, and I think now it's about B, and so we can't go with you anymore. I, I think we all agree that is, a, that is a reality that we have to be searching for and we may pull the trigger on that at different points, but it sounds like we're all there. The how is also very important. You know, uh, I think it was Mark who very helpfully brought up the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Daniel uh, stories in scripture. One of the things that's remarkable about that is that in their defiance, in their disobedience, they were still respecting their authority. Um, they were not, you know, lighting Molotov cocktails and, and chucking them at Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, they, they were saying, Hey, you do what you need to do. If, if that's what you need to do, sir, uh, that's great. The Lord may rescue us. He may not. We're, we're content. You see the same attitude in the apostles. The apostles say, hey, listen, if that's what you need to do, that's, that's fine. You do what you need to do. As for us, we're going to do what we need to do. And right. so there was still a respectful attitude, a respectful engagement. And I, I think, because I do think we're going to reach the when. You know, the reality is, guys, I think everyone on this call is going to spend time in jail at some point uh, before their life is over for their stance on sexual issues. Because I know each of you on this issue, and I know the culture, and it, that would not surprise me. So we're all going to face some when issues. 
And uh, I think it's important that we brush up on our how as well. I want to uh, just transition to a last practical point uh, before we uh, before we bring this to a close. And, and it would simply be uh, an effort to offer some of the folks who are going to be listening to this some practical advice and counsel. Uh, we all benefit from hearing from one another. Uh, I'd love to hear how you guys are beginning to think about and practice uh, some of these special events. One of you fellows mentioned, uh, you know, the prime minister saying, well, we might have to cancel Christmas, which by the way, is not something you should say uh, in a democracy. Uh, I'm not sure that that's helpful. But anyway, uh, how, are you, how are you approaching Christmas? And then more importantly, how are you impor uh, approaching communion and, uh, and baptism? Where do, you, where do you stand on those issues? Love to hear from you. Mark, you're canceling Christmas, aren't you? Yeah, that's, that was my plan. <laughs> Save money on that tree and everything. You're, you're sort of a Scrooge guy. <laughs> I, I've been counting down. My kids, have, I've got a Christmas countdown. How many my, days is it until Christmas? Do you know? 90, 92. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, and, and I've been let's counting do a down podcast on that at one point. <laughs> from, uh, from 364, that's been the family joke. But um, we, we have, uh, we decided, and this, I don't know if this was a little tiny bit of civil disobedience or not, but we decided, hey, if Subway can make a sub for you uh, with gloves on and a mask on and give you a sub, uh, then surely we can prepare communion. And, and, and so we did that. We went to the dollar store, got little tiny individual cups and somebody with a glove and mask put the bread in there and put some grape juice in there and we stacked it all up. And as people two, came- The two cup stack. That's a word that has been added to the evangelical lexicon. There you the go. And, I love and, it. And, cup stack. And, uh, you know, that it takes a little bit of instruction because you don't, yeah. you, you need to be able to instruct people on, on who should partake and why they should partake. And, you yeah. know, but that's, that's enabled that to happen. And, and I did baptize one guy uh, in a, in a lake, in a more, it was a family kind of thing, yep. but that's how we've handled that. That's great. Rick. Yeah. Uh, likewise with Mark, we, we purchased prepackaged communion because I, I took a position similar to yours, Paul, in that we weren't going to do communion virtually. And so uh, until we could come back together, we wouldn't participate in communion. And those who are participating with us virtually have to participate at the exact same time we do it now. And they have to come and get the prepackaged so that they're not doing orange juice and fish crackers. You know, it has to be done right. And we have to register them so we know that they're actually believers that are participating and this pandemic has almost brought us back to closed communion, hasn't it? It has. And uh, yeah. so anyway, we've, we're participating in that. Uh, and the prepackaged are preloaded all over the church. So no, by one person with gloves on. And yeah. so uh, there's no touching from anyone else. And, and so that's been done. Uh, baptism, we decided again, that's a great commission issue. We can't, yeah. we can't be told not to do that. So we wear a mask and put gloves on and dunk them under the water. And um that's how we've done that. For Christmas, um, you know, we, we've always done big theatrical presentations, so that's not even going to be remotely possible, it would appear. Um, and so we're pivoting that to a more service-like style where we're using smaller ensembles, uh, you know, smaller vignettes with people, making sure the platform doesn't have any more than is, is is allowed at any given time, spreading it over instead of four presentations, six presentations, and making certain that it's it's compliant in the sense that it's not theater because the theaters aren't open. And so we we don't feel that it's right for us to push back on that. That's good. 
And so we're going to make certain that the Christmas presentations, unlike our former theater presentations, are more like worship events, worship gatherings and worship, um, worship style. That's great. That's good to hear. How about yourself, Clint? Well, we had held off having communion until we were gathering and then we set a date uh, for our first and uh, so it was just a, just a few weeks ago and of course that Sunday I caught a cold uh, from my son. My son brought it home from school yeah. so I had the sniffles. So it's so hard I, to cough in church now. Well, <laughs> I almost choked myself to death uh, a couple Sundays ago because I just I didn't feel liberty to cough, and then I held it for so long. When I did cough, it was just Dang. awful. It was terrible. <laughs> but with the with the Alberta regulations, you know, you're if you're got symptoms, you're you're supposed to stay home. So I stayed home, got the COVID test, and and wasn't there for communion after we'd been waiting so long. But wa- I was able to watch, but I, it wasn't virtual communion for me. So you, so you just did it with Pepsi and fishy crackers yeah, and right. that, yeah, just, right. just like Rick said. Uh, uh, Two fisted, yeah. Uh, but but the, our church is using the prepackaged, uh, yeah. pre-bought ones, and uh, yeah, it requires um, fencing the table, just being, yeah. being careful as as per usual. But but we are thankful to at least have that. I was very disappointed. I'm looking forward to communion with the with the church uh, here at the beginning of the next month. We have it monthly, um, but that's the, but that's also a, just a challenge. Is uh, when you when just get sick with regular stuff, then it's pulling you away uh, from fellowship with everyone else. And we haven't had a baptism. Looking forward to baptisms this fall, though. Just before we, we drop down to Stephen on this, um, I, I just want to come to something you both talked about, fencing the table. And um, now I'm, I'm taking the posture of a learner because you've raised an issue. It sounds like you're handling it differently than we are. I, I just released an article on TGC Canada this morning called A COVID Order for Communion. We just thought through it as a group of elders um, at our last meeting, how we're going to do it. Our first communion back is going to be on Thanksgiving Sunday. So we worked out our order and then we just turned it into a blog to share with other pastors. But we decided uh, that we didn't want those who are at home, the shut-ins who are still watching online, uh, that we weren't in essence going to include them in communion. We're going to turn off our live stream uh, after the the song that follows the sermon and then we're going to do communion only in-house. That's not, not going out over the internet. Um, because, and we just, as we wrestled around the table, we just did not know how you fence the table when people are watching at home, when they, it be, uh, because communion is tied to church discipline, right? And if, how do you, the whole point of having the elders distribute the elements is if somebody who's under discipline reaches out, you, you, you pull back and say, no, 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 uh, let's talk after. So the, the elders are in charge of fencing the table in our distribution can't do that over, over the internet. Rick, you've obviously yeah. thought this through. How, how are you doing that? Yeah, well, well, what we didn't want to do is intentionally close people from the Lord's table who A, couldn't come because they were of a, uh, an age that shouldn't come or compromised yeah. health-wise, and, uh, and some of our families who can't come because we can't offer them nursery or we can't offer them children. Yeah. It seemed to us, it seemed to us that that would be a, a bad uh, precedent to set. So we're, we're fencing it by registering them. So a representative of the family has to come That's to the brilliant. and give names of who's going to participate in the communion. And, 
and uh, pick up the elements from us and they're invited to participate. Others are not invited if you don't do that. And if shut-ins can't come, we'll deliver it to them. Yeah, if that's what we've said too. We, we've said that we'll deliver it to you, but, but I love that idea of registering. That's brilliant. You might, I, I'm gonna steal that if you don't mind. You can. All right, Clint? Yeah, I, for, for us, our view would be that if, if people can't be in that gathering, then, then they can't partake. And so then it is similar to situations when people are away or, or there is a shut-in. I think that's right. If, if there's someone who's a shut-in, then you could go with a group of people and take communion to them and have that fellowship there. But it is a, because of the times and the difficulties, uh, even that absence away from taking the Lord's Supper with everyone else should then engender this, this sense of longing to be back together in the communion of the saints. So we haven't made other special things so that people could take uh, the communion elements back home. We haven't done that. Okay. How about yourself, Stephen? So we did um, the pre-package. Our folks actually really enjoyed that. Actually, they, they were quite... So they uh, took that home or, or, or they... No, 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 no. We did everything. So everything in. now that I've heard what Rick has done, I'm actually intrigued by that. I've got an elders retreat next week. I'm definitely going to bring that to them. So our attitude was we live streamed, but in no way did we include the watching audience. It was almost we treated them as you get to voyeuristically watch us right. participate in the Lord's table at our, at our service. Um, so I didn't address the online audience. I didn't include them in communion in that sense. It was just for those that were there. But I do like what, what Rick is doing. And I think that's something I'd like to talk to my elders about um, because we do have an element of our folks that are watching online for various reasons. Um, hmm. but, you know, in regards to looking to the fall, we're going to keep on moving on. We've got a marriage uh, conference we're going to do, keeping within the, the, the allowable limits. We've got, you know, I think we're going to have 25 couples. We've capped it at that. We've paid someone to cater it. So it follows the uh, guidelines of what the government here has said, the health directives, and, our, and could, couldn't believe how quickly that filled up. Uh, we're doing a cross-country kind of conference, uh, our church and Clint's church and Rob Goddard's church, and we're going to gather for that, but we're going to virtually include two other churches to have uh, a bit of sense of country. Um, mm -hmm. So we're excited to do that in November. And uh, Christmas, we're going to alter it. We can't have unlimited numbers, but we are going to definitely max out whatever numbers we're allowed to have and celebrate the birth of Jesus as much as we possibly can uh, we won't be able to have a big Christmas banquet, but we'll probably look at ways that we can do uh, banquets that encompass anybody that wants to be a part of that uh, as much as possible. Again, I just want an example to the world. You do what you want. You know, if we got to be Paul and Silas in stocks in a prison, but at midnight, we're going to praise and praise God and pray. Yeah. And you're not going to steal our joy from us because Jesus is the best ever. Right on. Good. Yeah, I don't... Uh, the, Folks who are interested in what we're doing can check out the article on TGC Canada. With, with respect to baptism, uh, we baptized a couple people during the pandemic. They were children of elders. So yeah, the, the, they were in the bubble and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so the elders could, could still facilitate that baptism and, and there wasn't a contamination. We are doing our, our first sort of post-pandemic or um, normal baptism where the folks aren't related to each other at Thanksgiving as well. Um, we're going to uh, just have the, the person baptizing wear a mask. And uh, we've checked that out with our uh, local emergency management coordinator, and there's no problem with that. So, uh, so I think it was Mark, you were asking if, is that permitted? The answer is 
currently under the current regulations, unless your local health unit is different, as long as the baptizer is, is wearing a mask, you should be good to go there. Well, that's good. Hopefully, and that's a good place to end. Hopefully that's been helpful. Uh, I've had, you know, emails and messages back from people from the last episode, just saying that was helpful. Uh, you know, we all, because we're part of networks and, and fellowships have the opportunity to collaborate and uh, consult with one another. And that's been a huge blessing for me. And uh, so this is our way of extending that to some of our, our fellow pastors who, who maybe don't have access to those same kind of networks. So hopefully this has been helpful to you. And, uh, we, we are praying for you as well. We, there's, just, there's a real sense of, of fellowship in the pastorate. There's a real sense of, of our need to stand with each other and stand for each other. And I hope that you've been able to hear that in our heart uh, as we've been talking together. So God bless you and uh, may the Lord give you great wisdom and guidance. May you hear the voice of the Spirit behind you saying, this is the path, walk ye in it. And uh, should this pandemic continue, uh, we'll uh, we'll rally the the band back together uh, at least one more time and uh, and talk about maybe how to exit the pandemic on the other side. God bless you, and uh, we'll see you again soon.